podcast are Irish folk legends Paul Brady and Andy Irvine. Both have had illustrious individual careers in music, but when Brady and Irvine came together after Planksty broke up in December 1975, the album that followed is regarded as a seminal work in Irish music to the present day. So much so that both men are embarking on a tour to commemorate that album, a tour that includes a night at London's Barbican Hall on the 15th of October, as well as shows in Dublin, Cork and Prague. Ahead of the aforementioned London show, Paul and Andy spoke with me about what that much-loved album means to them today and what fans can expect when they return to London for the first time since the 1970s. You all set for your, your tour next month? No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't started rehearsing yet, but we will and... Uh... Soon. Yes, we'll have, we'll have enough We have it all set up, but we're, we wouldn't say we're... we're... 100% yet, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> you're, you're in studio right now, as I understand it, in Dublin. Yes, we are, we are. We're just, we're going over set lists and arrangements and stuff and doing what you do. Mm. But last year you, you toured to commemorate um, the 14th anniversary of the album you went around Ireland. What has prompted you to, to hit the road this time around? Well, there was a huge demand for for that concert, and a lot of people, uh, in all honesty, couldn't get into the shows. So, it 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 was just a dynamic that made sense that you know that there was enough interest in in us uh, touring to try another few dates and also bring it further afield because the last time we we did this was just in Ireland. Yeah. Well, also, like uh, back in May last year, we enjoyed it so much. Uh, it, it was a chance to jump back when uh, when we thought about pl uh, playing a few more gigs. Have you played the Barbican before in, in London? Well, not as Andy and Paul, but in our own individual rights. I've played there yeah, so in various shapes or forms over the last few years. Uh, yes, and it's a it's a good room to play. And Prague was an interesting one on the list. What um what brought that into your into your schedule? Well, Brian, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it was Donald Lunny uh, knew this man in Prague, who runs a festival, an annual festival there called the Festival of Strings, okay. and, and and he had been at Donald Lunny for years to try and talk us into doing this. And it never worked out with us because of other commitments and whatever. And this year, it just seemed like uh, it was something would be good to do. And it is a strange thing, yes, but there you go. It's not that far away. 
And, and you have Donald and Kevin joining you on the tour again this year. Um, how integral were, were Donald and Kevin to the making of, of the album that you two both made back in, in, in 75? Well, Donald produced it and uh, played on it. And I think we had played the odd gig with him, hadn't we? We with, played with Donald. Yeah, we played in uh, in Lanesborough that time. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And so I mean, it was he was well integrated into the music we were playing, and uh, and Kevin, um, Kevin was was not you know until uh, Kevin didn't didn't know the music particularly until we got to the studio, but he was a he was a quick learner and he played uh, some lovely stuff and integration was. It was found. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew Kevin from the late 60s, early 70s when I was on the Johnstons because he, he was a London lad of, of Irish extraction. And yeah. he, he was a, a well-known fiddler as a young man. And I loved his style of playing. It was very... Uh, well, if you can play traditional music in a modern style, that's what he did at the time. And he just seemed to me to be a fiddle player who could be versatile enough to uh, to work with arrangements uh, outside the, the traditional standard reels and jigs, you know? So and, and so he turned out to be. And most of us know um, where the music collaboration began between you two with the 60s folk scene in Dublin and, and Planksty. Um, but where did the, the friendship begin between you two? The friendship between me and Paul? Yes. Well, it happened, uh, we knew each other years and years ago, didn't we? We knew each other back in the, the early 60s. Well, I w no, no, I, I think I only met you around 66. Uh, <laughs> and that would have been when, when you were in Sweeney's Man and, uh, and I had just uh, entered the folk scene from the rhythm and blues scene that I had been in for the previous three years as a student. And I was just learning all about the whole folk scene and learning about folk music. And Andy was one of the leading lights even then. And I was very impressed with his work and the fact that he could cross over easily between like American old time music, uh, play on, you know, playing mandolin, harmonica, the whole Woody Guthrie influence, which I was interested in, and also hardcore Irish traditional music. So that was a kind of a, he had those two or three strings to his bow, which made, made, made me notice him straight away. And uh, I always looked forward to playing with him. And uh, the, uh, the kind of strange thing about it was that I had just agreed to join this group, the Johnstons. And uh, a week later, Andy didn't know about this, but he came to me and asked me to join Sweeney's Man. <laughs> and he was much and I, I would have loved to have done that. <laughs> well, <laughs> he, you did play one gig with us uh, down in Limerick. Cruises Hotel. Yeah, right. I loved the, their, their striped shirts and waistcoats. I had to, I had to put that on for the gig. <laughs> <laughs> to borrow it from... Oh, no, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was surprised at that, Paul, because I... I, I, I do you remember that pub in Dublin, uh, Omara's? Yeah. Well, I'm sure we, I'm sure we would have met there. I'm sure we would have, we would have met. Uh, well, I didn't come to scene. Dublin until '64. Oh, all right, right. And you know, and and I wasn't. There wasn't even a folk scene in Dublin. 
until mid-65, late-65. Probably you were one of the earliest protagonists <laughs> of it. <laughs> well, right. With the emphasis on the agony. <laughs> yeah. speaking, of, speaking of pubs um, that seem to be quite important in, in your friendship and career, Madigan's in Donnybrook was qu quite central to you know, um, where you began in terms of your collaboration musically. Um, could you tell me the story of, of when Planks de imploded in 1975 and how on one evening in that pub you kind of went from um, reunifying the band to deciding that you two were going to go solo and do your own thing? Madigan's wasn't really a music pub. It was a pub where we went to, to argue, make plans and get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> it was local to, uh, to Des Kelly's office, Des Kelly of the Capital Show Band, who was the manager of Planks de at the time. So it, when we'd have a meeting in his office, we would uh, always repair to Madigan's afterwards. And yeah. I mean, if there was any pub that, that was uh, good for the music, it was O'Donoghue's at the time. That's, mm. where, that's, where, that's where I would have often seen Andy. And, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, my, my memory of the, of the, the breakup of Planksy was that uh, uh, Liam O'Flynn, God rest him, uh, had called a meeting, and we all knew what it was about. And so after uh, initial kind of uh, good mornings and how are you doing and blah, 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 Liam raised his hand and he said, uh, well, he said, I'd like to leave the band. And at that juncture, we all raised our hands and said, yes, yes, so would we. <laughs> so so, we, we, so the band was kind of, uh, there was nobody left in it. <laughs> and we repaired to Madigan's and uh, I think probably by closing time, there was a feeling of, oh, Jesus, lads, I mean, let's give it one more go. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah. we didn't. No, no. I mean, we pro it's probably a little too much made of, 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 that, of that episode. Uh, really, we just, we split up. And like anything that's been going on for a long while, where there's been good times as well as bad, there's a bit of nostalgia and worry, are you making the right decision? But, mm -hmm. you know. When the hangover the next day had worn off, none of us were in any doubt we had made the right decision. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when it came then to, to making the album, um, Paul Brady and Andy Irvine, obviously you had a lot of uh, shared influences, um, but similarly you both brought uh, different influences to the album, which can be heard in the album. Obviously, Andy, you brought the kind of Eastern European um, sounds and the, the bazooki, the Greek bazooki. And Paul, you brought the um, the songwriting, and of course Arthur McBride is um, a centerpiece of the album. Did that was that very important to the creative process? That you know, as much as you had similarities musically, there were still um, kind of different things to be on the, to be put on the table, so to speak. Yeah, well, you know, we were we were very different people with different influences, but we had dipped in and out of of the, mu the music that had informed the other person many, many times. And uh, we, we shared, as you say, a lot of musical background and, and interest, but we were dynamically very different people. And, uh, you know, that's what makes for a good mix of people. You know, you don't want two people who are the same. And you, you recorded the album in Rockfield in Wales, a studio in rural Wales. Did the landscape and the environment you were in making the album kind of seep into the sound? No, it, there, was, there was no landscape element <laughs> to the record whatsoever. We, we, we barely saw a tree between leaving the house where we were staying and, and the studio. Well, I, I wanted to go for a run every morning. Oh, did you? Yes. 
Oh, well, that was before I got up. It was on the road anyway, and it was of, of no consequence to the... Uh, no, it was a very hot summer, 1976. It was the hottest summer in 40 or 50 years. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was... Well, I certainly didn't get about the countryside. I was no, too involved no, and just... I only saw the road. Mm. Were there songs that could have made it onto the album that, that didn't in the end? Or was it, was it um, always going to be those particular songs? There must have been one or two that were. Yeah, there would have been. Probably, maybe Paddy's Green Shamrock Shore might have made yeah, it. You right know, but then, I mean, a lot, a lot of my songs that didn't make it on that record were on my own solo album, which is two years later, or a year later, actually. Mm. And what was it like when you first played those songs to a live audience? Obviously, you hear stories of Shark and Island gigs and, and in 76 and 77. We, you know, we, whatever kind of energy came off the two of us it it it, it seemed to suit the, the mood at the time and uh, I mean the, the generation of the, the I suppose the 18s through 30s at the time in Ireland folk music and trad music was the sexy thing that's mm -hmm. what was happening in Ireland at the time and that's what the whole generation of energy was was into and we somehow or other seemed to represent uh, a kind of a, a hot degree of that kind of music and 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 consequently we were the we were the thing to to be at we were the thing to be seen at you know and uh, that was as much coincidence as anything else in timing you know mm. I mean my my theory on <laughs> what unpopular music is that 95% of the audience are there to look at each other uh, and it's only 5% want to actually hear the music. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we fell into that category. We were we were hot stuff. <laughs> and when you look at, um, obviously, at that, that time there was O'Donoghue's, like you mentioned, and you had people like yourselves and, and obviously the Dubliners and uh, Johnny Moynihan and stuff all playing music around Dublin at the time. When you look at the current state of folk music, um, you see people like Lancome and you Vagabonds. Do you think there's still, um, there's still a, I guess, a desire for it in Ireland and it still has a strong place in Irish music and, and culture? Well, yes, I do, I mean, especially in, in, uh, in traditional music. I mean, I don't think, uh, like, traditional music has never been in a healthier state in its entire history than it is now in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's not so, much, so quite so many people interested in songs that's as, right, as there were. That's right, yeah. I mean, Lancome is an example, of course, and, you know, in a strange way, they're just, they are going right back to, to that period that Andy and I were in, and almost... <laughs> Um, recreating that or, or making an effort to do that. Uh, there aren't huge amount of bands around that are actually involved in collecting songs and, and arranging them like that. Uh, mostly trad instrumental music. That's true, yeah. Well, it's, it's true also, like, I can think of a number of, of bands who are really good playing, playing uh, jigs and reels, but when they come to select their songs, yeah. It'll be something from Tin Pan Alley, or you know, it will not be a folk song. Yeah. Um, I name no names. <laughs> well, avoid answering that one. <laughs> are there people you guys are fans of um, in, in the Irish uh, folk scene at the moment, and people that you kind of tip as 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 doing their own thing and doing something unique? Um. 
Well, I tell you, I, the, um, I, I can't remember her. And I can't remember anybody's name these days. What's the name of the, of the girl in, um, in Langton? Oh, Rady Peace. Rady Peace. Yeah. yeah. I heard her singing, uh, last year, just after the, after the festival was over, she sang a couple of songs. And I thought she was the best singer I'd heard for, for years and years. She's sort of shades of Annie Briggs about her, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lisa O'Neill is another another good example, actually. Oh, yeah, 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 she's great, yeah, yeah. And when was the last time you played London Loud? So how does the, the kind of London Irish crowd differ to, to crowds elsewhere? Uh, when we last played London together. Yeah, but the National <laughs> and Children in 19... <laughs> I don't know. 1977. It's years, decades yeah, since yeah. we well, played together London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we haven't played together in London since since we were together. Kilburn, you mentioned, was where you played, is that right? Well, it was a thing called the National Ballroom in in Kilburn at the time. What is it now? It's the... I don't know. It's it's a cinema or something. I don't know. It was up there near the Wilsdon High Road junction. Kilburn Kilburn High Road. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean... That's, you know, it's been it's been that long since we played. We have, I mean, we don't know what, what the London Irish population is going to think of us coming to play there. You know, you can tell us more than we can. <laughs> oh, well, there's two of us here in the office who are definitely looking forward to it, I can tell you. Um, so I want well, to ask you... I want well, to that's ask, two. That's yes. two. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a start, at least. I wanted to ask you as well, Andy, about your, your upbringing in London. Um, obviously, your mother was Irish. And how much of a sense of Irishness was part of your childhood? Not a lot. My mother had uh, had left um, Northern Ireland when she was quite young. She was a musical comedy actress. Her her entire all her memories in her life was uh, about the stage, and um, and my father was Scottish and and uh, never said anything. Like uh, I, the day after he died, I learned more about his background than I ever had when he was alive. Mm. That explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> One of the one of those people who, you know, you'd, you'd say, Dad, um, you'd ask him a question, he and he'd all inevitably he'd say, uh, Oh, I don't know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and I'm like, don't be asking me that again. Yeah. Well, was he in the war? Uh, he wanted to be in the war, but he had bad eyesight, so he was in the, the home guard. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, great guys, I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, coming to the gig on the 15th of the barbecue with my colleague Oshin here. So um, thank you very much. Thanks, right. Ryan. Thank Thanks you, Ryan. Thank bye you. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Paul Brady and Andy Irvine speaking to me from Paul's studio in Dublin as they prepare for their return to London with a show at the Barbican on Monday 15th of October. Tickets are available on the Barbican website and considering the last time they played together here in London was in the 1970s, you won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening and take care.